I'm Duncan McLeod, and this is TCS, the Tech Central Show. TCS is brought to you by MTN Business. You can visit them at mtnbusiness.co.za, and we thank them for partnering with the show. Now, longtime readers of Tech Central may remember a podcast and an article we wrote, I think it was about uh, 10 years ago now, with Cory de Jager of Hydrox Holdings, who at the time had developed a technology that they said had um, or represented a major step forward in unlocking the hydrogen era. Um, uh, this stuff is well beyond this lowly writer's pay grade, but uh, the claim was uh, was this. Uh, de Jager and his team had developed a membraneless technique for splitting water into its component parts of hydrogen and oxygen with the promise of helping the world get to non-polluting hydrogen fuel cell-powered cars and other technologies sooner rather than later. Um, this idea is could rather dramatically improve the way hydrogen is produced and lower the costs thereof. Now, a lot has changed in 10 years, Corey, I'm sure. Uh, technology moves at a rapid pace. Um, before we get into what you've been up to in that time and some of the advances you've been making with Hydrox Holdings, including what I believe are some significant uh, technological developments recently, just take a bit of, take us through the history of Hydrox, how this, how you got involved in this space, um, and uh, what what the potential is of of the technology that you're developing. Thanks, uh, Duncan, for the opportunity as well. Uh, I, my background was on the legal profession. Uh, I've been a lawyer for 45 years and then I retired some six years ago. But prior to that, I was very interested in making some contribution towards making the world green. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the, the challenge was always, how can we get hydrogen out of water? Water is plentiful and there's a lot of hydrogen in water. That's very simple science. But the, how do we get it out? And this is where we started. A, c- a couple of engineers and businessmen, we got together and said, let's, let's take this challenge on. And we started. That was 25 years ago. Wow. So, in, uh, yeah, that was in the year 2000. We started on this. And it was very exciting. And we developed various kinds of uh, units that we can split the water. But eventually it dawned on us this is very dangerous because the hydrogen, the oxygen that you generate from this is a very volatile mixture. So with a spark or even uh, static electricity in the air, you can actually ignite it and it explodes. It doesn't burn. Mm-hmm. So it was quite quite uh, a challenge to get the hydrogen, the oxygen separated. But you're, you're, before we get into even any of that, uh, Corey, your, your background is in law. You're a former attorney. Uh, how does a former attorney or an attorney at the time uh, get into into this particular area? How did how did what was the genesis of all of this? Well, I come out of a family where we grew up uh, four uh, brothers, uh, and they're all in- engineers. I'm the odd one out. Okay. I was also entered in an engineering degree, and I changed that. And I said, no, I would rather go for, for legal. Mm-hmm. But my, my passion has always been uh, being part of, you know, doing something worthwhile, and engineering and science has interested me all along. So uh, this was always a challenge for me. You know, we can work, and we all do something, but... What legacy do we leave behind? What what major steps can we do to make the world a better place? Now, uh, this is uh, what drives me, and this is what drives our whole group of, of uh, directors and engineers still involved in our company. It's, let's do something major. Let's do something and do something nobody has, has done before. Mm-hmm. So we, w- we started off, as I say, you know, various uh, units running a car on this very dangerous gas, taking the car even to Fort in Silverton and showing them the car. There was a Mazda. Chewed, I can remember it very well. <laughs> and we had a lot of flame arresters because if it's uh, 
if there's a backflash or whatever, this thing will explode. So we had to stop this explosion. And we had f interesting uh, results, 82% drop in carbon hydrates at the back. So your, your exhaust didn't uh, waste a lot of energy anymore. Your, your, we had to adjust the timing. So we spent a lot of work, even at, at Tuckies, we mm -hmm. spent a lot of the engineering department running our cars on the machinery there. And uh, we could prove that there is a huge benefit if you add hydrogen to normal combustion. This was not purely hydrogen. It was hydrogen-oxygen mix. And we used the car's battery to, to uh, give us the power to split the unit. And it was like the size of a two-liter bottle that we put inside the car. We used the battery, the 12-volt from there. We split the water into this uh, components, hydrogen-oxygen, and we feed that into the carburetor. But as I say, it's not to be uh, done at home. It can be quite very, very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we started. And then we, we got the message now. Ford tested it for us over two days extensively, yeah. and they gave us a very nice report. Uh, I'll not go into the technical details, but it was fun and games, you know, that we could actually change a lot of things. Uh, your your mixture was a 26 to 1 mixture compared to a 14 to 1 mixture currently, you know. Yeah. So there was a lot of potential, but uh, it was too dangerous. So, so, so let's get back to brass, brass tacks here. What is hydrogen and why is it suitable as a fuel? Well, hydrogen is an energy carrier and it's the most abundant element in the universe. It's in everything. As we mm -hmm. sit here, everything that lives has got hydrogen in it. And uh, the challenge was always how do you uh, how do you break the bonding, especially in water? If you take water as a, as a medium, uh, H2O, how do you break that to a molecular part to get the atoms out? So does hydrogen not exist on its own on Earth? Uh, very, Naturally. very few. There is some uh, instances now in, uh, I think, in, in the, down in Africa, in the middle of Africa and mm -hmm. in France now, they've got some pockets of, they say, pure hydrogen. They call it white hydrogen. But that's still not commercially available, that you can get hydrogen freely. It, it tends to, to bind. If you have hydrogen right now here, it'll immediately bind with the oxygen form okay. water. Okay. So you don't have hydrogen freely available. Uh, maybe down in the earth, uh, there is some, you know... Trapped uh, somewhere. Yeah, mm. uh, this is what they're trying to do as well, but, but not really available. Mm -hmm. So the challenge always has been, how do you get hydrogen out of water economically? So is it oxygen that it typically binds to? It doesn't typically yeah, yeah. bind to other... No, it, it binds to a lot, of, a lot of things. This mm -hmm. is uh, your, your steam methane reformation is one process. It, it, it binds to, it forms, an, uh, with nitrogen, it forms ammonia, and you can have methanol... CO2. So hydrogen binds with a lot, a lot of, of things. Uh, yeah, yeah, indeed. But uh, to get it out of uh, water, because water is the most easy one. And the nice thing about it is if you break it apart, you have the hydrogen and you use it through a fuel cell or even an internal combustion engine, mm -hmm. which is the new ones they're developing right now. It becomes water again. Okay. So it's, it's, there's no wastage of water. This is what's nice about it. The only thing that's wasted is the energy to break it apart. Yes. And that is the challenge. How okay. much energy do you require to get the hydrogen and out? And that's quite significant, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think uh, maybe to mention here as well, uh, Duncan, is, is that there's no carbon involved in the process. 90% uh, of all hydrogen currently is made through the steam methane, methane reformation where there's a lot of CO2s generated mm -hmm. by means of heating up uh, water or s s a methane, as a matter of fact, to very high temperatures and getting the hydrogen out. But the CO2 is, is seriously uh, polluting. So they've got to capture that and that's why they call it blue hydrogen. Where you, you produce hydrogen and oh. you capture it and you store the, the CO2. But what do you do with the CO2 now? So that's a challenge. But if you take water, it's H2O. There's no Cs, mm -hmm. no carbon, no carbon dioxide, nothing. Mm -hmm. So this is why it's, it's a clean, and everybody's going for electrolysis or water. 
this is the, the ultimate, uh, the silver bullet, if we can do that. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, up to now, it's very uh, expensive. The, the electricity uh, component is mm-hmm. the one that... How much energy are we talking about here? Uh, one uh, kilogram of hydrogen, the norm is normally, what is one kilogram of hydrogen gives you about uh, 39.4 kilowatts of energy. But how much kilowatts does it take to generate mm-hmm. This is what it's about. Normally, 55 kilowatts per kilogram of hydrogen. So you have a 70, 72, 75 percent efficiency factor. Okay. But if you can bring the electricity down to have it more efficient, this is what we're all striving for. Mm-hmm. This is where I think we we now have a, a huge answer. Okay. Well, take us through the the um, device or the the technology you've you've patented here and and how it works. Okay. F- f- you know, for this uh, past nearly 200 years uh, electrolysis has been made out of uh, two electrodes and in between you have a membrane the membrane is is like a piece of plastic or a cloth and that just stops the gases from migrating across to the other electrode on the on the positive side you have your your oxygen on the negative side you have your hydrogen and but in between there's a membrane the membrane stops the the um, the gases from migrating and you know again becoming very explosive so that's why you must have pure hydrogen by the way a purity in beyond 94 percent mm-hmm. if you have a for for running a fuel cell you need 99.995 percent purity mm-hmm. very very high grade purity if it's got too much uh, oxygen in it's explosive and nobody wants to touch it so that's why uh, to get it um, the, the hydrogen is pure is, is the challenge and this is what we've managed to do but again if you look at the process uh, you've got the two electrodes uh, separated by a membrane and that's been done as I say for nearly 200 years in the same fashion mm-hmm. uh, you've got two processes the one is an alkaline the one is a PEM and now you've got a solid oxide on the side which is not really commercially available as yet but the PEMs and the oxides uh, the uh, PEMs and the alkalines as well as the solid oxides all uses membranes Solid oxides, very high temperature, above 750 degrees Celsius to 1,000 degrees Celsius, and that all uses membranes. That's a ceramic membrane that it doesn't melt. Mm-hmm. And this is why the, the, the challenge was, can you get something done without a membrane? And this is what we did. We started working on the process. Why did we do it, by the way? Because we couldn't afford the membranes. They were too expensive. Okay. We said, okay, your process up to now was uh, the, the, the liquid that is in between, which is water, and you, you have some electrolytic uh, solution in there, which is normally KOH, potassium hydroxide. And that is running parallel to the electrodes and then out and in between the membranes, I say. And one of our uh, inventors, a brilliant engineer, George Anaknostopoulos, the Greek chap, he invented the way and he said, why go parallel? Let's have perforated electrodes. Instead of going parallel to the electrodes, let's go through the electrodes. So we don't have this pathway along the electrodes, which also creates problems because if there's a lot of bubbles, it stops the current from flowing through. Mm-hmm. The membrane allows the electricity to go through in layman's term now. Sure. Uh, but it stops the bubbles from passing through. So you have on one side, you have the oxygen, on the other side, you have the hydrogen and the, the fluid, the, the uh, water going across with it, and then it's removed by means of a gravitation process. But George changed the process. He says instead of having electrodes that's parallel, we have electrodes that we will go through. So we just use pressure through the electrodes. Pressure from, you know, you've got circumferential flow from around the edges through the center of the electrodes outside. It's like having two um, uh, pieces of uh, pipe next to each other with mm. a small one-millimeter gap, and you have pressure all around, the flow goes through the pipes and out. Mm-hmm. That's all it is, so no membrane. And that's what we, 
we astonished the scientific world by succeeding in building these. We built various ones. The first ones were very small. The others are much bigger now, and they all work, and it's a perfect separation. Hydrogen on one side, oxygen on the other, and no membrane involved. So we're very proud of that. Okay. And uh, then you capture it again using yeah. gravity. Yeah. You, 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 it goes through a gravitation process. You have little lots of uh, uh, marble balls all over, and you break this uh, the uh, the uh, hydrogen and the oxygen on the one side the oxygen releases if you break the surface tension the water runs down below you capture it again you recirculate it mm-hmm. so that's as simple as that and the gases go up and they, they you, you capture it on the top that's a standard process that's uh, every single electrolyzer uses the same kind of process it's there's nothing uh, strange to that so what is the significance of of what you've done here what is the significance of this invention well, initially we started off, we have less components. We don't have a membrane. So immediately your cost factor and your longevity will be much better now mm-hmm. because you don't have to replace a membrane every five, six years. At a commercial scale, I mean, what are we looking at here? How big are these membranes, these devices for doing this work? Uh, the, the, the membranes itself is about a meter by 800 meters. And then they... they by all, 800 meters? Uh, eight, uh, no, 800 millimeters. Millimeters, sorry. okay. Meter by meter. By <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you, you stack them. You have about 66 of them to make one megawatt okay. so they, they all stack next to each other and you know the flow is through them and mm-hmm. this is just also very standard but without a membrane we have one less component and suddenly we have less resistance because your membrane also creates resistance and this is what, what causes the electricity to go up mm. but the, the nice thing about our process is and that's what we've been working on the last couple of years is we can suddenly go to um, uh, Areas where nobody could go before, the PEMs or the alkalines, they couldn't go to higher temperatures because the membranes pop. The membranes don't like high temperatures. And then they, 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 if, they, if they break apart or they fall apart, they, then you have crossover of gases and then your whole system stops. You know, and, and this is what you don't want. So suddenly we can go to higher temperatures. Uh, why is that important? Because suddenly you have much better kinetics. You have much better thermodynamic effects. Uh, your your current densities increase. Uh, you can now, instead of cooling the system, and this is another factor, uh, your your cost of hydrogen is is governed by two things only: um, the the cost of the unit, the electrolyzer itself, which is about twenty five percent. That includes the the maintenance and replacement cost of electrodes and membranes. That's twenty five percent of the total cost of the produced hydrogen. But seventy five percent, the bulk, is for electricity. Mm-hmm. Your electricity feed is the most important component here. But unfortunately, due to the current processes used in all these units, there's a buildup of heat, and the heat's got to be removed. Mm-hmm. You can't operate beyond 80 to maximum 90 degrees centigrade. Otherwise, the membranes will start falling apart, and you will have crossover, and you've got to stop it. But that, that, to get that uh, temperature down takes a lot of energy. About 40% of your total 75% is uh, heat generation that you've got to remove. So suddenly you have huge losses because of the heat. Electricity that you can't utilize in, in, in making hydrogen. That's why your efficiency of the whole process is between 72 and 75%. I'm talking of system efficiency. I'm not talking of only the stack efficiency, the overall efficiency of uh, generating, of putting electricity in there and making hydrogen through a normal process is 75% maximum efficient. So there's a, there's a lot of scope to bring the efficiency up and now we're back to what we have in this country. We have sunshine, we have maybe a little bit of wind, we don't have hydro, but 
Uh, if we utilize that and bring the cost down of the electricity feed, we can bring the cost of the hydrogen down. Mm. Again, practical terms, what does one kilogram of hydrogen, uh, the energy value is equal to uh, four liters of petrol. Okay. So it's uh, based on the American gallon system. How much is a gallon of imperial gallon uh, of petrol compared to, or they call it gasoline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, the one kilogram, you know, how much energy do you, 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 you take to make the hydrogen? And what is the energy value of that uh, hydrogen coming out? So that's where that 70 to 75% comes in. But now with a higher temperature, we suddenly go where nobody could go before. We can now go to, say, 250, 200. We call it the intermediate uh, range, energy range, the electricity range, where we go to 200 to 300 degrees centigrade. And some wow. things change altogether. It's not that, that hot, interesting. With the, with the uh, solid oxides, they go up to 1,000 degrees centigrade. But, and that's challenges on, on the materials. And where do you get the energy? Now you've got to put it next to the solid oxide, now next to a nuclear station to get that high temperature. <laughs> so what's the sense? Mm. It's, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense at all. But now with our intermediate, energy, uh, intermediate temperature range, we can now go to 250 degrees at about 30 bar pressure which is also a benefit if you get it at the end. It's already compressed to a certain extent. But uh, the efficiencies, electrical efficiencies, go up to 95%. It's now uh, endothermic. We utilize the, the heat that's in the system instead of uh, uh, cooling it away. We can use the, the heat that's already in the system as part of the energy. And that makes it fantastic. And the other nice thing is because of the kinetic reactions of the higher temperature, uh, you, you suddenly have a tenfold increase in, uh, in uh, current densities, meaning a smaller unit can make much more hydrogen, mm-hmm. which cannot be done with membrane systems because of the clogging of the bubbles and uh, the, the, uh, they don't have the kinetic benefits. And suddenly, with the higher temperatures, I mean, well, it just mm-hmm. changes everything. A tenfold increase, a smaller unit can make much, much more by order of magnitude more uh, hydrogen than anything else. So that will bring the cost of the units down again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're very excited about the potential. So, yeah. So is this working in practice? Have you uh, have you actually developed this in a? We've we've developed just the the basic one to prove, and we've I must give credit to Shell uh, through the Game Changer program. They've sponsored us. And Shell, we, Shell, mm-hmm. Shell in the Netherlands. Yeah, it was quite a challenge. Uh, we couldn't mention the name initially, and we were the very first ones in Africa. Ex-Africa, you know, so <laughs> we were the very first ones supported by them in Africa. And um, they said to us also the most successful of the whole Game Changer range. So they will probably be also involved in the next phase. So we proved the principle that we can do it at lower temperatures, at 80 degrees, at normal five bar pressure. But now to take it to the next level, we have to test that as well. But mm-hmm. theoretically, there's nothing in our way. The, the issues we've got to solve is just what materials are we going to use of construction? Is it polypropylene, polyethylene? What kind of plastics mm-hmm. that can handle the higher temperatures and the higher pressures? And then the anode, because the anode is corrosive on the, uh, at the higher temperatures. We've got to look at, you know, is it titanium instead of nickel? Mm-hmm. But these are things that can be solved by the clever guys. But what does it mean for the, the commercials around... Um around producing hydrogen. Um, how, how much cheaper do you think it'll be using this new method? Well, number one, if you, if you don't have to waste 40% of your 75% energy on, on electricity, 
and cooling it down, that's a 30% saving on the total cost of, of hydrogen. Okay. That's a one start, so at least we'll say 30% drop in the price of, of uh, hydrogen compared to what it is currently. So that's a major step. It's not incremental. And then we talk of the increase in current densities. I, I, I don't want to venture on that, but uh, you know, of the 25%, suddenly that could be halved, I, I should mm-hmm. think. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to speculate. Sure. Let's leave that up to the, the clever guys. There were many studies done already on higher temperature and the benefits. In Europe, especially by the Danish Technical University, we've got the full cooperation. We've, we're using their publications where they've proven all of this. But they couldn't go further with their tests because their membranes popped. They tried to do different kinds of membranes. We don't have membranes. So suddenly these guys are very keen to work with us to test it at the higher temperatures. And if we can achieve a 30% or a 40% saving on the cost of uh, hydrogen, wow, mm-hmm. we can compete with, with fossil fuels. Okay, It's going to change the world and there's no pollution involved. I was going to ask about the, the future of, of motoring here and transportation. I know that um, Anglo-American, uh, I think it might be their platinum division, don't quote me on that, um, has deployed uh, hydrogen uh, powered um, trucks in its mines uh, and uh, they've been in the logistics industry I know Amazon uses hydrogen forklift trucks and I think it's quite hydrogen is quite a popular uh, fuel for use in warehouse type environments and that sort of thing but it hasn't really taken off in in broader in the broader motoring industry I know Toyota years ago built a hydrogen car and I think I think it was only ever sold in Japan you might might know the details about that I know BMW recently has been talking up hydrogen cars again and saying this is the future beyond EVs. Um, is it p- purely the cost of producing hydrogen that's holding back hydrogen cars or are there other factors at play as well? I think two, two things here which is important, why hydrogen hasn't taken off. But by the way, it's taking off big time now. Okay. Toyota has committed, uh, America has changed to hydrogen now. So the electrical side will still be there, EVs, but um, uh, you know, that doesn't solve the issues of refilling and the mm. range and so and then the cost eventually. So so hydrogen is now on the verge of exploding. It's just going to happen big time everywhere you see it. We get so many inquiries. Um, the two things that affected uh, the, the, the takeoff of hydrogen was where do you get the hydrogen? If you go now in South Africa or in Africa and you say where do you get the hydrogen? There's only a couple of uh, places you can get it, but mm. most important, what's the cost of the hydrogen? Mm. Uh, in practical terms, South Africa, you're going to pay 500 rand per kilogram of hydrogen. Wow. That's true, um, if you can get it. So again, nobody's going to buy it at that rate. No. So suddenly we say we can do it at about 120 rands a kilogram. That's possible. That's even with our standard technology, with our, we call it the advanced alkaline neutralizer, which is a state-of-the-art mm-hmm. system utilizing a membrane. We've, we've gone and we've engineered a, a, an electrolyzer just to get the cash flow going. A standard system, well, we have many years of experience in this field. So our guys build this standard one where we, uh, we've got a 20 kilowatt unit that produces five kilogram, just a demonstration unit. It's a, got a zero gap system, a membrane in between two electrodes on the side. And we get very good 72% efficiencies. And, and this can be done. And even on that one, uh, we can make hydrogen about 120 rand a kilogram, mm-hmm. which is much less than you can buy it. This is now purely at manufacturing cost, not included your, your mock-ups and whatever the case sure. is. But with the economies of scale, if you do more than one and you start building them a big time, that's going to come down. I mean, there's no question about it. But at this stage, uh, the big manufacturers do not want to make smaller units anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyson Krupp, 25 megawatts, they don't want to build small ones. We, we say... 
let's build a 250 kilowatt and then a one megawatt. That is, um, one megawatt can give a thousand houses uh, electricity, mm-hmm. especially in Africa, smaller houses. So there's a huge demand if we can solve Africa's issues and we don't have to look to go to Europe and places like that. And in any event, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't think we can compete with um, Algeria, Morocco, uh, up there north. They've got all the sunshine, all the wind and all the resources. Mm. So how can we compete with them from down here? You know, transporting our hydrogen by boat all the way up there. And Spain even, they're putting up huge solar plants there. This was the green hydrogen. I'm talking of green hydrogen. Green hydrogen. Factor. Absolutely. That's, so. that's hydrogen produced with renewable energy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Africa has got 600 million people who's got no access to electricity. So even Nigeria, our biggest economy, suffers with electricity. There's lots of people that's got, got no electricity or very bad electricity, even here in our country. I mean, you sit with farmers, you sit with industry, they're moving out because they can't afford this uh, breakdowns. If you can give them electricity all the time, and even so, your cement and your, your steel industries, and mobility. Mm-hmm. If we can have hydrogen stations where you can get your hydrogen, you can run your cars, it's going to change everything. And it's now within our grasp. I'm talking of existing uh, systems that we have, which you can roll out in 12 months' time, but beyond that, the deaf technology which is going to bring the cost down considerably. That's going to take another two, three years. It's got to be developed. But we're confident that that, that can be solved. We're putting a consortium together now of international companies and institutions that has got the facility and the scientists to do it. So to take us through this technology, what did you call it? DEFT, D-E-F-T. DEFT. Yeah, it means divergent electrode flow through. Right. This is our technology with no membrane. And this is the one that we patented and we got all the awards internationally as well. Okay. Okay, what are some of those awards that you've won? Well, it's from the iChemic uh, Awards, that International Chemical Engineering Awards. We got, uh, the, I think, the one I'm the most proud of is from the uh, Monaco Hydrogen Alliance. They, they had a forum, and we've been invited now. We've been just made a, a member of them as well. We're very okay. proud of that. And uh, they gave us, you know, of the five awards, we, we had two of the international awards, and we competed against the, some of the biggest companies in the world. We got the best emerging technology in the top three award. So that was amazing. And this was uh, handed over by Prince uh, Albert uh, II mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of that, you know, so <laughs> shaking a prince's hand. <laughs> so suddenly, I mean, and the world is now taking cognizance of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's a matter of us to, to take it forward. And, and we, we're asking people to join us, to mm-hmm. get involved, you know, help mm-hmm. us. Let's, let's go and change the world. And can be done. Let's make it green. Let's leave a proper legacy. So where is this going? I mean, is this technology going to be used by big companies producing hydrogen, or do you think do you see a future where I could potentially, as a homeowner, buy this product and install it in my house and produce my own hydrogen to run my hydrogen car and and, and to service my own energy needs? Could we get to that point, or is this only ever going to be produced by big companies? Uh, Duncan, your your problem here is uh, normal homeowners shall, will not be able to afford it. Okay. You'll probably in a neighborhood, you will clock together and you get to, to 10 or 20 or 100 people and say, let's, let's put up electrolyzer and do our own energy. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, these, you know, the bigger your unit is, the less the capital costs. And this okay. is the question. So, And one of these small ones is about a million dollars. It's very expensive. So this is unfortunately the, the nature of the beast. It's, it's not cheap. So if you want to buy it, you've got to stand together and, and do it. Maybe township developers, yes, they can put it in. And we already get inquiries from that as well. People saying, can't we change and get and, and work? Because uh, this is the future. If you can go green again, where does the energy come from to split the water? So if you can have enough solar, and again, you're sitting with maybe wheeling, getting the wind from down in the Western Cape mm-hmm. where there's lots of wind. 
uh, that can be done. And we're also in talks with ESCOM. So they're very excited about this, and this is what's nice. So things are happening, notwithstanding that we're all a bit careful when we talk about ESCOM. But these guys are trying. So we, we're very uh, confident that there's going to be solutions, and it's going to be green solutions. And Africa can spearhead that. Mm-hmm. Are there any hydrogen-powered vehicles in South Africa currently? Not that I know of. The ones that we've seen as demonstration once is the Mirai, the one from Toyota. Toyota. So they have brought a demo unit in to test it out in this market. Yes, yes. Who's doing that? I'm not sure at this stage. There's some colleges that we're involved in, especially having a bicycle and a golf cart and stuff like that. I think Highsign in the Cape was at one stage busy with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But but once you have the hydrogen available and it's affordable – it's, the market's just going to, to run. Mm. It, it, the farmers are looking for it. This is big. Mm-hmm. The mines, uh, they, they want to get uh, hydrogen down below because you can run a fuel cell right there in the shaft. There's no toxic fumes, nothing. Mm. You've got to you know, circulate all the air and get it out. It's just fantastic. It's, it's just the answer. But uh, again, where do you get it? What do you pay for it? Mm-hmm. And this is where I believe we have the answer. Okay. So what are the barriers to, to the world adopting this technology? Um, I mean, obviously, I imagine you'd want to get the the cost of the energy below fossil fuels in short order. And once that happens, there's just going to be natural demand for it. Uh, how far are we from that point? Yeah, it's it's not really to be below fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. It's to be close to fossil fuels. Remember, a fuel cell has got a 60% efficiency factor compared to a motor car, which has got about a 30% efficiency factor. So you can get double the mileage if you want to look at it that way from hydrogen compared to petrol. So even though you pay a premium for your, your hydrogen, it, it, it's going to give you a, a much better you know, distance to travel mm. compared to petrol. So uh, from that, you just got to be close. And this is where if we can bring the cost down by 30 or 40 percent. We're already uh, beating uh, the price of, of, of uh, fossil fuels. Uh, so, yes, it's possible. But the, the trouble up to now was the majority of hydrogen is manufactured by, from methane, mm. steam methane reformation. It, it's just hugely polluting, and, and that's not what you really want. So if we can get it from water, and we believe that we're there now, it's, it's going to revolutionize everything. We're mm. on the verge of a, you know, an explosion into hydrogen and mm-hmm. making the world green. It's, it's going to have a massive effect. What hurdles do you still need to overcome? Um, technology. We, we have to test it. Uh, financial, we've got to get the monies to test it. It's expensive. Uh, you know, to pay the engineers and get this done is, is not cheap. And, and that's it. But it's, it's solvable. It's really solvable. It's within reach. And, and, you know, we are inviting people to get involved, mm-hmm. to get in touch. So you're with looking us. for capital, range, venture capital funding at this stage? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If we can get that, we can solve the issues very quickly. It's, it's, uh, we can short-term build the, the uh, alkaline one mm-hmm. locally. It's, it can be containerized. We can put it in a, an, on, a, on a low bed. You can deliver it where the people want it. And all you need is steam and water. And that's a normal reverse osmosis little machine. And the, the electricity, which is hopefully um, renewables. Mm-hmm. And then you can produce hydrogen. And you know the nice thing, for one kilogram of hydrogen, there's eight kilogram of pure oxygen, which is currently just bled off. Mm-hmm. But you can give that to the hospitals. You can make a huge difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. People big industry, with, yeah. With, with these uh, tunnel farming, the fish farms, they want oxygen in there. 
Yeah. So that's that's another huge possibility. Yeah. Yeah. And the safety issues around producing hydrogen, have you overcome those? I mean, yes, no. Yeah. We we've <laughs> we've been through that. <laughs> very, very good question. Hydrogen is not uh, if it's pure, yeah. there's no risk of explosion at all. And I'm talking of beyond 94%, but mm -hmm. we talk of 99.995 for for uh, fuel cells. Mm -hmm. So there's no doubt about it. I mean, you 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 always talk about this blimp, the uh, zeppelin that exploded, yes. you know. But that never exploded. It burned. Caught fire. And it fell to the ground. Mm. If that, that hydrogen was unpure, it would have exploded. There would have been no camera crew down below. There would have been a massive hole in the ground. <laughs> Nobody would have survived the accident. So it just shows you hydrogen is, in fact, it's flammable with oxygen, but not yes. on its own, indeed. On its own, yeah. yeah. Okay, but uh, the fact that you're separating them at quite close proximity, that, that, is there risk there? No, 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 we've sorted all of that out. Now, and, and we've got so many hazops that that's done on the on the system itself. Yeah. You know, from Shell's angle, they had oh, they had all these experts coming in, and everything is, is also done by PLC. So we're sitting with with Siemens programs and computer mm -hmm. systems. So everything is managed. You know, the flows, the purities, everything. If something should go wrong, and we hope it doesn't, then immediately the system kicks in and stops it all. So mm -hmm. no, no no risk at all there. Okay. But if you should now mess around with it, yes. I'm, I'm sure you're going to look for trouble. That's why we have it enclosed in, 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 in a container. All you can do is uh, put in water, a demon water and electricity, and that's it. You're not allowed to open it. You're not allowed to mess around with it. And then the technicians will come and service it mm -hmm. once in a couple of years' time and replace some of the components as they fall due. But this is what's nice about it. It's actually manageable. For example, if we want to do it quickly in this country, it's a matter of taking the old Sassel model where you have your filling stations um, and you have one central plant where you do it by means of containers. You, you put it in these pallets. Mm -hmm. They have all these um, containers, all these tanks standing there and about 36 of them and they, you put it on a truck and you deliver it to, to the uh, Like you garage. do gas. It's gas, mm -hmm. exactly. You deliver it to the, to the filling station and it stands above ground. You don't have to do IEAs and stuff like that. You, you just put it above ground. It's safer than the, the LP gas that's been sold inside the kiosk. That's mm -hmm. dangerous mm -hmm. because that's explosive. Mm -hmm. You leak that and you have a flame, it's going to explode. Hydrogen doesn't explode. The test they did on the Mirai is they shot into this um, tank and they tried to explode. It doesn't explode. Mm -hmm. Simple as that because there's no oxygen in it. So, and if it gets, uh, it leaks, it dissipates immediately. It's the lightest element of all. So, it just disappears. So, it just flips, it's gone. Mm -hmm. There's no chance of it. You know, so really, uh, we're quite happy as far as the safety aspect is concerned. And we conform to international standards. Okay. Okay, Sassel seems like a company that might be interested in this sort of tech. Have you had any conversations with them? We had years ago with Sassel, many, many moons ago. I'm talking about 20 years ago we, when we started off. We are way beyond that now. So okay. our, our system has changed. Our safety is much better. Everything is up. We sorted all of the issues out. We haven't had conversations with the management as yet okay. uh, because they, they, they're making the mo most hydrogen in the country coming from coal. So, you know, they're selling hydrogen big mm -hmm. time, but only, and they use most of the hydrogen themselves, by the way, mm -hmm. to change into different kinds of chemicals and stuff. So, yes, they will be interested, uh, you know, because methane is also, you know, the, what they use from, from uh, Mozambique. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not sure about the, but you can see the pollution over there in Secunda, it's mm -hmm. not nice. So, we can change it and make it green. Yes, by all means, we will be very happy to talk to them. Okay. Do you, um, in terms of commercializing this uh, technology, do you see Hydrox becoming a manufacturer of, of, of 
of devices that do this in the field or do you see yourself more like a company like Arm Holdings in the UK that licenses its IP to design chips and has other companies make those chips? Do you see yourself as a as an IP company that, that just simply licenses two companies so that they can build their own systems or do you see yourself building your own systems that you then sell to, I don't know, Toyota, for example? Duncan, this is much too big for us. So for us to manufacture, we can manufacture one or two demo units and that's it. But it's, it's got to be done under license. There's no okay. question about it. The, the, the demand is from all over the world. We have people saying, can you give us smaller units? Is it immediately available? Mm-hmm. On the dev technology, that's going to be massive. And again, we're not limited to one megawatt. We can go as big as we would like to. This is what's nice about it. It's scalable. The whole unit is scalable. But as I mentioned initially, it's expensive to build one unit. We simply don't have the, the, the funding to do it anymore. So we've mm-hmm. got to reach out now and say, let's go and do it. But there's no limit. You can go as big as you like. And I think the ideal route is, is licensing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're already busy with an Austrian-Swiss uh, company. Okay. very keen on, on licensing our technology and, and doing some of the development work for us over there, mm-hmm. which is going to take a lot of headaches away for us because we don't have to worry about that there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can see your background in commercial law coming in handy when it comes to negotiating those contracts. But uh, you've, you've also said uh, you've patented uh, the technology in various yeah. jurisdictions around the world. Um, which markets have you patented it in? And is anyone else trying to do this? Uh, this has been tried for, for many years. People have tried to do membraneless, but they've done it on a very small scale. And uh, I can keep you know, busy the whole afternoon about the various ones. Very interesting what they've done. They haven't succeeded in scaling it up. It's still on, on, on a um, lab scale. Even in, in the UK, there's a company that calls himself Membrane Free, but it's a double process. It's not done it on the first step, so it's still not... It's all about energy efficiency. How much energy do you require to, to, to make it in the end? And can you scale it up? And this is where we're fortunate we can scale it up. Ours is so simple. People have asked us, how the heck did you guys do it? And this is on an international forum, so we get where we present our technology. They're just amazed, and it's so simple. Mm. This is what's the secret behind it. So, yes, we've got it patented in all the major ca- countries right around the world, and uh, we renew our patents regularly, and we have new patents all the time being developed. So, yes, uh, it, it's, it's nice to be part of this and to develop it and to sit and to think. You've got the old expression, think it may be a new experience. And this is what, what's, uh, what's being done here. We start and we think we've got a lot of clever guys, and they all sit together and say, let's sort this problem out. Don't worry about it. It's not been done before. Mm-hmm. Let's look at how can we resolve this. And then we get the answer, and suddenly, you know, there it is. So, yes, we're very proud. Do you find there's some uh, skepticism as well on the world stage towards a company coming out of Africa claiming to, <laughs> <laughs> claiming to be able to um, um, create this world-changing technology? Is there some – do you find – do you pick up any of that when you meet with people, with, with experts internationally who say, how the heck could this come out of the dark continent? <laughs> Duncan, uh, Africa does not feature on any – of these renewable energy uh, uh, charts anywhere in the world. It doesn't feature. It's no, nowhere. Mm-hmm. We, we remain the dark continent. The first time one of our chips uh, re- represented, one of our engineers we sent to Madrid in Spain, to pre- there was a technology challenge, and they said they want to look for green uh, solutions and stuff. But they were actually looking for IP, but um, IT things. And, but irrespective, we presented there, and there was about 350 delegates. They had five minutes to present their technology, quick five minutes. And when he introduced himself and he says his name and he's from Hydrox Holdings, uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. When he said Africa, 350 delegates turned their heads and look at my poor engineer 
who's never been in Europe before. <laughs> he felt like he's out of place. <laughs> and uh, eventually we got to the final stages. We, we got through all the elimination routes. It was very exciting. You yeah. know? So it, it's, there's a big bias against Africa, make no mistake. We, we, we're not known for our high tech. We're not known for our technology, but bear in mind, I mean, a lot of technology has been developed in this country. So has it been a bit of an uphill battle to get people to take you seriously abroad? And now they're taking us seriously, yeah. indeed, with the international recognitions. And from Shell. Uh, Shell first, yeah, that's very important to us. And then uh, from Prince uh, Albert yes. from Monaco, you know, that recognition. Mm-hmm. And then from the iChemical Engineering, uh, you know, this is international concerns that come along and give us recognition. But the main thing would be once we have our first unit that can produce the hydrogen at much less, that's going to really uh, set the world of price. Mm-hmm. Normally, your, your, your investors come along and they say, okay, I'll invest in your technology. How long before we get a return on funds? Mm. And this is our big thing. There's no real venture capitalist who says, okay, I'm prepared to wait it out. I see you've got the potential. You've done all the homework. You've got all the credentials. Uh, we don't get that. Mm-hmm. We simply don't get it. And you hear all the millions and billions spent on uh, projects all over the show, but it's not about venture capital being applying money and taking that opportunity and chance and, and uh, going through the stages to develop it. They want all want a return. And even the, the ones that claim to be venture capitalists, mm-hmm. they, they come along and they want a return on their monies. And this is where we, we come unstuck. So we're really looking for genuine venture capitalists that yeah. are coming along. Get involved in right now. The potential is enormous. Yeah. So, what sort of um, funding are you? Do you require to commercialise this to, technology? To, to build the AAE, the alkaline one with the membrane in between, that's a commercial one. We'll do it in two stages. We'll build the uh, 250 kilowatt one, and then the one megawatt. We need about 60 million rands. 60. Six oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Six oh million rands to build. Well, remember, one cost about one million dollars itself, just one unit. So just to give you a background, but to pay the engineers and to yeah. do all the you know work that's got to be done, there's a lot of things that's involved here. And again, you you will only order one of it, you know, one pump and one of this and one of that. Mm-hmm. So if you do it economies of scale, the price will come down. And do that and then test it extensively, like we did for Shell. You run it through 1,000 to 2,000 hours continuously, 24 hours a day to test it, and then you get the sign off and they're happy with it. So this is what's got to be done. And then we've got the blueprints. Then we can actually now say, okay, let's go bigger, three, five megawatt, whatever, there's no limit. And you can start start opening your order book and say, what do you want? Do you want to buy units or do you want to buy the hydrogen? Because I think the market also lies in people who says, I can't afford that uh, serious 20, 30 million rands for a unit, but I'll be prepared to buy your hydrogen. If you can give it to me cheaper, then I can get it locally. Say at 200 rand a kilogram, we still make a lot of profit there. Then it's easy. Then we can t- do takeoff agreements, supply the hydrogen, and you know your, your capital is, is no problem anymore for the consumer. You can buy the hydrogen as he requires it, but, you know, certain mm-hmm. minimum per day, per month, per year. Um, on the other side, if we do the, the uh, DEF technology, the one that's got all the patents and the international recognition, that's going to that's an open one. I'm not sure how much it's going to cost. We reckon about $5 million because it's going to be done in Europe and in America to a certain extent. And we've got to employ a lot of these universities and institutions. Some is going to do the material sciences. Some is going to, it's got the, uh, the autoclaves, the high-pressure uh, systems where they can test it under pressure and stuff like that. And that can be done, and if we get enough capital behind it, it can be done quickly. I think I said uh, three years, but if we put drive behind it and we put our own engineers in there, we can really do it much quicker. We've got uh, Fraunhofer, the one institute in Germany, who's very much interested, and we're in talks with them now. 
they've got the, the people available to immediately start on this and they're very excited about it because they see the huge potential. Mm-hmm. The um, people were talking about electric cars probably going all the way back to the 1980s, but it's only really st- they've only really started to take off in the last 10 years and probably largely been driven at least initially by Elon Musk and, and what he's done at Tesla. Um, do you think that EVs are of the future of motoring or do you think they're just a stepping stone to hydrogen cars? I think there's a market, there's a place for them as well. But if you want to do the short commute, uh, 50 kilos a day kind of thing going to town, mm-hmm. your, your big issue is even now, I, I read in the, in the papers that uh, some company is spending a couple of billion to, to put up electrical network here, but they can only do 12 cars at a time per station. A station will cost, if I do my calcs, uh, it's about 10 million rands for a station. You can only do 12 cars you can uh, charge. And they have to sit there for at least half an hour. And and this is what happens in the UK. Some of my friends have got um, children there and they live there and and they've they've all given their their electric cars back because they say there's stress factor. If the temperature drops like it's getting cold, Mm -hmm. your battery drops, your Uh battery's performance. So they get this stage fright. They sit there and they worry. Mm-hmm. It's a psychological thing. Mm-hmm. Am I going to make it? I mean, this thing is now 20% left and, you know, I've, can I make it? Can I get to the job? And when I get there, is there a sp- spot where I can park, charge my car? Because although there's a quick charge, you can do it within uh, 40 or 50 minutes. You can take it up to 60 or 70%. Uh, but then you've got to get where you can recharge it. Our systems that don't allow it. If you look in, say, the south coast of, of the Cape, uh, Mossel Bay, that, that area which is very popular in December, if you have 10,000 cars coming down there, <laughs> all electrical cars, they're going to collapse the grid because they all charge at night. Yeah. Uh, they each have 40 to 50 kilowatts of energy. Where, where, where is it coming from? Our current lines can't support it. So extra energy. So really, it's not, South Africa is not really ideal for electric cars. I think they've got their market. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is hydrogen provided, it's available. And it's affordable. Then it's going to change. And everything. it's neither of those two, two things right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, Unfortunately, no. Is it a chicken and egg situation? I mean, Toyota's been talking about this for years. It has the Mirai, um, but it only has the Mirai. It doesn't have other hydrogen vehicles. What, what's, what's really holding this back? Is it, is it the car companies that are not committing enough focus to it? Is, it? is it that more work needs to be done by companies like Hydrox to get the cost of hydrogen down? What, what, what are the barriers? I think uh, Toyota itself is now committed. They said they're going to build their own electrolyzers to manufacture the hydrogen for that very simple reason mm-hmm. and then also to bring the cost down. But again, they're limited by science. You can't, you've got a membrane, you can't change it. So here we are with new technology that's going to make a dramatic impact there. But uh, yeah, again, it's, it's, uh, it wasn't the commitment. They were scared. Is it electrical? Is it not? And you think about electrical in our roads, if you have a, a car which the whole floor of the car is a battery, and you hit one of the, our local potholes, think what the, 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 the uh, chassis is going to do and the battery is going to do, and that battery cracks. Mm. Your car's going to burn out. Mm. So it's, 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 a, it's a risk factor, the electrical cars for our roads. We're not really geared for electrical cars, although we, we'd like to be say we are, but mm. it's, it's not going to happen. You know, ESCOM is not there to supply all the electricity, so it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. I think it's, it's nice. They will be there, but... Uh, hydrogen is much, much easier. And also, big trucks. I mean, the, the space you need for a big battery to, to equalize a hydrogen car, it's just, you can't compare. Mm. Uh, trains, there's already trains running on, on hydrogen in uh, Europe. And um, so, if you can have hydrogen coming, taking our ore from the top there, once our rails are back again, 
Can you think how much we can save? You can halfway you have a stop, you fill it up with your hydrogen very quickly and you carry on, especially in the Karoo where you have lots of uh, sunshine, you have your PVs up there, you make your, your hydrogen and uh, when the train stops, you can fill it up, off it goes. There's a lot of movement going on there, mm-hmm. lots of inquiries already. People are seeing this and saying this is the opportunity, this is how we can uh, revive our rail networks again by hydrogen. Or provided they don't, you know, they can keep their lines intact, uh, mm-hmm. that'll help. But it's electricity can be substituted now. Why is Musk not building hydrogen cars? Hasn't he said some disparaging things about hydrogen in the past? Yeah, he said uh, fuel cells is fuel cells, but I think he's he's <laughs> going to eat his words. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, we, we'd like to speak to him. I think he's the right guy. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah. So and he's as African, so I'm very proud of him. So yes, uh, I think uh, he's pushing his own companies because he's so heavily involved in, in you know, invested seriously in mm-hmm. this. So he can't really turn against mm-hmm. hydrogen. But I'm sure he's, he's also coming to see the light. And uh, you know, big companies are changing quickly, and it's just amazing what happens. And you get generators now that's running on our diesel or hydrogen, dual fuel. It's amazing. So oh. you, yep, you can you can they already being made. So th- I'm talking of not fuel cells. I'm talking of internal combustion, like the old mm-hmm. Lister engines. They're going to last a long time, and our farmers can associate with them. If you don't have hydrogen, you can go to the polluting um, diesel, which you all know. But this is nice, and it's 40%, uh, 48% efficiency compared to 30% efficiency if you're on it in hydrogen. So mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. So hydrogen is, is really the future. Right, I'm sure we haven't done the technology any justice in, in this discussion. Uh, I did ask you before the show to, to keep it at a fairly layman's level. Um, we could have gone in a lot more into the technical details, but for anyone who's interested, who do wants to learn, wants to learn, someone who wants to learn more about uh, the technology that you've developed here, how it works, how hydrogen fuel cells work, et cetera, et cetera. What's the best place for them to go? Hydrox has a website, does it? Yes, it does. Hydrox Holdings. Uh, you can get it just on the website. Mm-hmm. And you're welcome to contact us. Our detail is up there. Excellent. Well, Cory de Jager is the founder and CEO of Hydrox Holdings. Uh, thanks for your time and thank you for talking to the Tech Central t- show today. Much appreciated. Thanks, you uh, for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Duncan.